Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Catherine Rubino. Is she there? I am. You are? Okay. I am. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to I thought you were going to say something else about me like, you know, that I'm also, you know, an editor at Above the Law or that, you know, I'm the best person you know or just I just thought I thought that'd be more of an introduction to be honest. Yeah, no. No, there wasn't no, any more of no, an introduction. No, that's your name. That's yeah. your name. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it's weird that we're both at the same publication, right? I'm like, I'm from Above the Law and here is somebody else also from Above the Law. Like, I don't know, like I feel I mean, you, you can put whatever manner of superlatives you are feeling at the moment into my intro. I put every superlative I'm currently feeling in, in there. <laughs> I, I kind of walked right into that one, didn't I? Yeah. I, I mean, I might have felt other superlatives before, but right now I'm feeling, <laughs> I think I, I, I stand by the original. Uh, yeah, so we are here again to... Mm check in on the week in legal news. The legal news to one side, the news of the world is is not encouraging still. We're still not not doing great as, as a society. Right, right, right. Obviously, that's true. And this episode isn't live. So we're doing this before the outbreak of zombies or whatever <laughs> it is that's going to happen over the weekend. I'm not but encouraged that it'll get better by the time this airs. No, I think that's fair. But uh, nonetheless, we have a show today where we're going to talk about a few things. Most of the big ones are going to be legal stories that place the Trump administration front and center. We have a big story about what's going on in the Michael Flynn case, which is a case that's been kicking around for a long time. A lot of people may or may not know all the ins and outs of it. So we're going to try to do a quick little explainer of where we sit. In fairness, they just might have forgotten at this point. It's It's been ongoing for long enough and uh, <laughs> other things are going on. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, so we're going to do a quick little rundown of exactly where the state of play is in that particular case right now. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about pants. Okay. So, okay, let's start with the, the Flynn case. Well, one thing about the Flynn case is that it's... It's been going on a while, uh, and a lot of the issues deal with some of the discovery material that was supposedly, arguably, should have been turned over. Uh, it's it's a criminal case, so there's not it's not like it's a massive amount of discovery material like there are in civil cases. And in a civil case, if you're out there and you're trying to cut costs, then you're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter, and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit logical.com slash LTN. That's logic with a K. C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. So yeah, so uh, the, the crux of the Flynn case is that Michael Flynn, a former general who was briefly national security advisor for the Trump administration, had conversations out of turn, basically, with Russia, Turkey, with foreign officials that, you know, were problematic. Now, at the end of the day, there may not be any real 
crime in the specific things he did, but he then proceeded to lie about these conversations to You know, that's how they got Little Kim, like... It is, in fact, how they got Lil' Kim. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that uh, people outside of law, I see sometimes people who are non-lawyers spouting off on Facebook about how criminal this investigation is because there was no underlying crime or something like that. But the issue really is that there's a Can't lie to the government. That's really the, the issue. Law enforcement, which obviously we... You know, we've been talking about police and law enforcement and a lot of negative aspects of it over the last few days. But it it has a real interest in ensuring that when it asks you questions, you tell the truth. Uh, And Mm. that's that's kind of the whole point. And so if you're making false statements to them, they don't like that. And it is not entrapment for you to say, I have a feel, I know what's going on, and I'm going to ask him straight out, did this happen? And then that person lies. That's not entrapment. That's you lying to the government. Right. I mean, there's literally a right that you don't have to answer. Yes. Yes. It's all, it's like enshrined in the, yeah, they they, they say it on TV shows all the time. Yeah, like that is, that is part of the daily propaganda we hear about law enforcement all the time. In any event, uh, Flynn hired high-powered very competent lawyers, they walked him through exactly what was going on and advised him that his best bet was to plead guilty, which he did. He then confessed under oath twice because of the vagaries of the case in front of different judges, twice confessed to committing all the elements of the crime. At this point, you would think that you're ready to sentence. I think we're uh, done. I think, I think. okay, you know, why are, we, is, why are we spending any more time or effort doing anything else? Just sentence him to jail and let's Or whatever, that and, and that's yeah, normally the plan. However, the administration made a move in which the attorney general appointed a different lawyer who, like, hadn't been involved with the case up until now. Uh, all the people who had been involved with the case did not sign on to this, really. Mm-hmm. And... They said they were dropping the prosecution. But it already had happened, Joe. Yeah. So that's one thing. It there was are, done. Uh, one of the key arguments that people make uh, in Flynn's defense is that the government should have the ability, it's prosecutorial discretion, they should have the ability to decide whether or not they're going to prosecute somebody. And that's all fair and good. Unfortunately, they, they have made that decision, and then they prosecuted him, and then he swore under oath that these things were true. We're really past the point where they have much yeah. say in what's going on, <laughs> and that's why there's a provision that allows them to withdraw, but even that provision requires that the judge give permission for mm-hmm. this case to, be, to end, and the judge does not seem inclined to do so. Judge Sullivan doesn't think that this case should be over. Judge Sullivan made those thoughts known. He also suggested that there's a possibility that he should, of his own accord, independently of whether or not we go forward with the underlying crimes here, he should slap criminal contempt charges on Flynn for lying under oath when he confessed. Twice. So that that seems that seems fair, at least from from my perspective. But I know that I've seen a lot of headlines about different judge, Judge Gleason. How, how do we have a different judge involved now? So at that point, there were some attempts to to smack down Judge Sullivan for having these feelings. Judge Sullivan's position was 
well, the best way of doing this is I've been close to this case. Let's bring in someone else independently to look at everything that happened and opine. Mm -hmm. And he reached out to Debevoise and Plimpton, the law firm that we all know, that they, one of their partners is John Gleason, who used to be an Eastern District of New York federal judge who is highly mm -hmm. respected and well-placed to take an independent crack at this. And he did. Uh, he reviewed all the evidence and gave his recommendation. His recommendation was not particularly kind to the Department of Justice. The word corrupt was utilized. Uh, he, it's not a good one. Yeah, no, not, not one of those good ones. He came to the conclusion, essentially, that there was no warrant for the government to drop this case they have to make some sort of showing of why they're doing it, that it's been haphazard and seems to be politically motivated and corrupt. That well, the, there's a reason why it seems that way. That the rule that we have <laughs> that requires the court to offer their leave before the government can drop out was designed for the sole purpose of avoiding, he, he says, or at least primary purpose of avoiding these sorts of politically motivated prosecutorial decisions, and therefore he recommends that Judge Sullivan not do that and advance immediately to sentencing. <laughs> do as not a, as, go, do not collect $200. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the only bright spot for Flynn is that he concludes that Judge Sullivan is entirely within his rights to slap Flynn with a perjury charge uh, visa vis-a-vis -vis his criminal contempt powers to the extent mm -hmm. that independent of the prosecutors going after them. Th that's the whole thing about separation of powers. It's, the prosecutors could go after Flynn for perjury. However, in this instance, they have no interest. But the judge, using their inherent powers to say that this was contemptuous of the tribunal, could right. say, you lied under oath to me, and so I can penalize you for that. Sure. Judge Gleason says that that power is something that Judge Sullivan absolutely has and would be well within his bounds to exercise, though in throwing Flynn a bone, he says he would prefer, he would recommend that Sullivan not use that power and instead just take this into account when sentencing on the underlying crime. Well, it still doesn't sound great for Flynn. It doesn't. But the real crux of this case, I think, uh, for a lot of folks, and I mean, most of our listeners are legally trained in some way and either law students or paralegals or outright sure. lawyers, but you know, not everybody does criminal law. And so some of these concepts may not be top of mind. But when you see some of the commentary going around about how Flynn was entrapped, railroaded, how this is a violation of the separation of powers, all what it's important to know is that all of these claims that you're hearing are mm -hmm. stupid and wrong and based on ba on nothing more than wild conspiracy theories that from an actual legal perspective, no, the guy committed a crime and we've gotten to that point and he's confessed and now we're ready to sentence. Sounds reasonable to me, but you know, maybe I'm not the right audience there. <laughs> but it's, it's the big deal to this week. And it, I mean, it speaks to a more important issue, right? Which is mm. a former federal judge is willing to write the word corrupt when describing the Department of Justice, which I mean, that, you know, that's, I didn't that's think that deal. we would see that. Yeah. Mistaken, incorrect, unjustified in this instance. These are the sorts of <laughs> terms that you might have expected someone to use. Uh, and when a judge is going that next level, in particular one who has a 
sterling reputation like this, it's indicative of a deeper problem. Uh, I've talked to actually a number of former federal judges and and current federal judges about this over over the last bit. Uh, Talked to a former federal judge about it today, in fact. And what they confide in me when I ask straight up about it is that they've never seen this kind of behavior from the Department of Justice, that the idea that you would drop a case after you've got a conviction is, uh, Bizarre. Or, I mean, a guilty plea is so, so foreign, uh, it, unless there's something like, oh, you know, the DNA came back and it was wrong. Right. We, we have new evidence, new evidence yeah. came through and, you know. And there is, I think it is important to remember that even though we're talking about this potential perjury charge for lying when you confess. It is a real problem in, in not just federal, in the criminal justice system as a whole, that prosecutors, because of the harsh penalties and the different gradations of penalties out, out right, there, right. there are often situations where people confess to actions they don't necessarily believe that they took in order to get a lesser sentence or something like that. So the idea that there's some purity, and I think this probably plays into why Judge Gleason's hesitant to go forward with advising a criminal contempt charge here, is that you want to be able to say that, I mean, in another big story that's going around now, which has nothing to do with any of this, recalls some of the events of the Central Park Five case, the famous uh, case in New York where five people were minority teens were put in jail for a crime that ultimately it turns out they didn't commit at all. But they all confessed ultimately because that was how they could lessen their sentences and stuff like that. And you don't want a situation where you're blaming people criminally for confessing to things under those sorts of circumstances. The distinction here, of course, being that Flynn is a highly sophisticated government official when this is all going down, who is represented by a well-respected big law firm and with Mm -hmm. attorneys who knew what they were doing. So the sympathy is a little bit less. It's not like kids who are being railroaded, which was more the case with Central Park Five, but that is a concern. And and for those who want to downplay that he pled guilty twice, and there are definitely those people that I see in Facebook feeds and stuff like that, those people uh, are dancing around a point, but in this instance, the circumstances really don't back them up. Fair. Yeah. So that's that seems like a, a pretty big deal in the in the world of legal news. Yeah, no, I mean you know, that that was uh the first big bit of news for them this week. Then the administration got another shockwave when Noel Francisco, the solicitor general, has decided they apparently has decided he's going to step down. He's out. Um, this is the job of the person who argues the government's case before the Supreme Court. So we're going to be getting somebody new to uh, talk about uh, all of the Supreme Court cases. So do you have any any ideas? you want to put any, any lines the, down on who you think will get the nod next? The most logical decision would be to elevate John Wall, who's the deputy, the principal deputy there. Mm-hmm. He could take over this job. He could do it on an acting basis, which wouldn't require any kind of confirmation hearing. But as the principal deputy, he could move up, continue doing the job. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's only a few more months in the job, at least within this term, not saying what will happen after that, but there's only a few more months anyway. Why have a confirmation fight? Just do that. That is certainly an option. Uh, Deputy White House counsel, 
Patrick Philbin apparently wants the job. It's unclear how that would play into this. There are other crazy lawyers in the president's orbit (laughs) who may have more of that rabid dog loyalty that he seems to appreciate, whereas people Mm -hmm. like Wall and Philbin are, are, you know, career government lawyers, basically. Philbin was was part of the W. Bush administration, too. You know, like these are real... Public Real options of that sorts. you would yeah. you would expect in any Republican uh, right. administration, not the, just Trump specific kind of folks. the Republican legal industrial complex. Um, right, yeah. that's a great but, way of phrasing yeah. it. I like that. It's a longer name. We usually abbreviate that to Jones Day, but whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so but there are Nicely other options. Played, Ob- Patrice. Yeah, uh, there are other options, of course. I like. Jay Sekulow, who's been representing him in all these things, you could try to get him nominated for, and confirmed for this. Uh, it's not seems, like the Senate couldn't vote on a strict party line nature like they have been with all these judges. You know, Alan Dershowitz is still out there. Ken Starr. Wow, that would be what, that, those, all those of all of options. these people are there, and they've all made clear their they've already sold their, their loyalties. Souls, yeah. So they, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because. I think there there could be some serious issues going forward here. I mean, obviously we've we've had a lot of arguments already, and like we're we're you know winding down to the end of this term, uh, mm-hmm. so we're more in decisions coming out time than new arguments. But I mean, there are still emergency motions, stuff like that that happen, requests for them to intervene on cases that they probably shouldn't, which is one of the things that Francisco is very good about getting a Supreme Court intervention long before the natural course of the process would tend to get there. So Mm -hmm. whoever has this job will have some significant things to do. And yet another fight, I guess, that uh, will happen before we see the end of the longest year that has ever been. So I feel bad because I just keep talking uh, and I see that I've talked for quite some time here. Like, do you... Well, uh, I mean, I thought you, listen, you were relatively interesting. Oh, well, thank you. But no, I mean, it just seems, <laughs> that count, seems as though compliment. I'm dominating this, um, no. which I don't yeah. intend to. I mean, listen, to. You, you've you handled both of those stories for Above the Law. It makes sense. I think they're both uh, very timely, very interesting. While I have mostly been writing about lawyers acting terribly this week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What's the lawyers acting terribly beat? Well, I guess the first one is is not actually um, a lawyer, but a operations manager at a small law firm in Arizona who is also married to the partner, the name partner of the firm. She was caught on video storming into a gas station, confronting the clerks and demanding to be helped before the woman who's trying to check out of, of the gas station, telling the woman that she needed to go back to her country and then pushing her, in which case the the woman that was being accosted hauled off and just slapped her across the face. Nice. Um, <laughs> which, you know, is not something you see every day. The aggressor, the the kind of one who said that, you know, go back to your own country, she, that her husband came out and said that um, his wife has been um, undergoing periods of uh, paranoia and delusion for the last year or so, and they're hoping to get her help. They're hopeful that this incident, the public nature of it, will make her realize that she needs help. Hmm. So but, um, a bit of a sad turn at the end yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a less, a less Thanks sad for bringing story. us all down. Yeah, a, le- a less, less sad version is um, happened in Texas where uh, an attorney has admitted that he egged a judge's car because 
he was upset over the pandemic stay-at-home order. He's he's now being charged with a, a misdemeanor. I believe it was a reckless mis, so so some some misdemeanor. I forget the exact um, one. Uh, and he's pled not guilty, although he has given interviews explaining he did in fact egg the judge's car. But he says he cleaned it up, and it was all in good fun. It was really all in good fun. He wanted to to show the judge that he laid an egg over his quote unconstitutional pandemic order. <laughs> That seems like a ridiculous reason, but it also seems as though I feel as though eggings are the sort of thing that we shouldn't be bringing the criminal justice system. Well, listen, it's a misdemeanor. Into. It's punishable by a hundred and fifty dollars fine, <laughs> and it, it it does definitely seem like not appropriate behavior. No, I I think that's very true. I you know it, it gets to a real issue in some of these in New York. Obviously, it's it's different where we both practiced. It's mm-hmm. highly, it, it's a little bit more professionalized than I think it is in some other areas. And that's not a dig on other areas of the country. It's just more a comment on how small other areas of the country are. Mm-hmm, Judges mm-hmm. are people that you might have practiced with or against or been in your own firm or like the, the relationships can be a little bit less imperious than they can be in New York where Judges are on that side, and you know we're over here. That's like fair. maybe you worked that's with them fair. at a big law firm, but even that's kind of weirdly hierarchical. And you know, so I always am a little. In this case, it probably was not professional behavior, but it is one of those situations where you think, hey, what if, what if this judge is somebody that is a personal friend of theirs, and you know they and they were playing a prank, and you know that that sort of stuff. It's a fine line because obviously sure. you want to respect the job, sure. but sure. Less of a fine line is the attorney who uh, was arrested twice, not once, but twice over the course of a weekend for doing a bunch of things, including spitting in a protester's face. A black kid, 17 years old, high school student, she pulled her car in front of peaceful protesters that were marching. She pulled her car in front of the group, got out of the car and started confronting them over over the protest. And when they were, the group was kind of like, move your car, like we're going to keep on moving. She turned around and spat in this kid's face. And she was was arrested, she was charged, uh, you know, for for that crime, um, but not put in jail because of the county's COVID-19 regulations. Which is ironic because it seems as though if she was spitting, she sure. wasn't wearing masks or anything either. She was not. She was in, There's also a video of that. Don't worry. Don't worry. There's also also video. But uh, as a result of, the, uh, of that, there were also protests in front of her house because people were quite upset. And during that incident when, when they were protesting in front of her house, she left her house, came out to confront the protesters, shoved somebody, and then when police arrived to arrest her again, she need one of the officers in the groin, allegedly. So okay. she's facing char- those charges as well. Amazing. Yeah. And then there was, and then this is like, the, this is this is the week for people to act terribly, which frankly, you know, it, it makes a little bit of sense, I suppose. But there was also the attorney that called George Floyd a shit stain, which was pretty awful. Yeah. So that happened. Um, there was also just a bunch of folks online making all sorts of inappropriate comments about their recent protests. And, and one attorney when the local bar association sent a, you know, all members email 
taking a stand with the protesters and Black Lives Matter and so on and so forth, the attorney just did a reply all with just the word stop. So that yeah. was fun. And that was in the South. South Carolina, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, that, not uh, that it's geographically limited per se, but, you know, certainly if, you're not, gam- but if you're gambling. Yes. Uh, I believe the, the, the lawyer who spit was from Wisconsin, I believe. Yeah. See, there you go. So, it, it, yeah, it could be anywhere. And I think there was actually a, finally a resolution to another like lo- long-term lawyers behaving badly incident. Yeah, and it's also one that has uh, some notes of sadness in it. The uh, $54 million lawsuit over a uh, missing pair of pants is finally completely over. Uh, this is a <laughs> former administrative law judge in D.C. sued his dry cleaners for losing a pair of his pants. The damages swelled to 67 million at one point. Uh, he lowered that to be reasonable to 54. This is a case that he lost, uh, as yeah. you might imagine. But, you know, it gave rise to some ethical questions of whether or not a judge mm-hmm. was misusing the judicial system to sue a bunch of dry cleaners over mi- a missing pair of pants for millions of dollars. And at mm. the end of the day, this has been going on for a while, but the Court of Appeals in D.C. has finally weighed in and agreed with the disciplinary board and off and given him a 90-day suspension for all this. And this has gone on since the, it's been over a decade at this point. Wow. So, like, I think the pants were lost in 2005, so <laughs> it's been a while. God bless. But God 90 bless. days with this. Now, the, this, the notes of sadness is that this former judge has made clear that during the time when this was all going on, he was out of work and had very little, you know, very little money and was stressed out. And it it was, it was bad. And it seems though it came at a very bad point in his life. That said, he carried on this case for quite some time and he continued uh, until recently continues as far as one knows to believe that the disciplinary board giving him a mere 90 days for this uh, is because they're, you know, racist agents out to get him and stuff. So, you know, it's, it, there's some sad notes to it too. But finally it's over. In three months, we'll be completely past this whole issue unless, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court takes it or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it seems like it's been a pretty shitty week, you guys. Yeah, so there's, you know, there have been things. It's not been a great week for, for a lot of people. But, I mean, that's the point. That's why you yeah. read Above the Law and that's why you listen to this podcast to get your your rundown on the terrible things that law people do. Mm. And so we're glad that you joined us today to hear all those things. Again, read above the law, listen to this podcast. You should also check out our special reports, the ATL COVID cast, where we're talking Mm -hmm. to people who in the legal industry and around it, who are giving us insights on unexpected ways that the pandemic is going to change the legal profession. You should be listening to the Jabot where Catherine talks to women and minority folks about diversity in law firms and social justice issues. Uh, You should check out the other shows on the Legal Talk Network that don't necessarily involve us. Uh, You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. And with all of those things said, I think, uh, oh yeah, give us reviews and stars and all that sort of thing on the podcast subscription place where you found this. And then that's it. And thanks to Logical for sponsoring. And now I'm done. There you go. All right. Talk to everyone later. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, 
please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.